Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So this morning I want to start with a couple questions. Because we've been talking about how rapidly the culture has changed, even just over the last decade, as we reflect on this last decade, how rapidly America has changed around us. Can a rapidly changing culture be reached by the gospel? It's a very basic question. Do we believe that a rapidly changing culture can be reached by the gospel? Can the transforming message of Jesus transform our culture and our communities? We have to begin with that question because for many Christians today in America, I think they may not want to answer no, but they would answer no. This mentality of the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's all going downhill. There's nothing we can do about it. That's not a biblical mindset, but it has snuck into the church that they have just said, America's going to be whatever it is. We give up. And what it creates is an anti-Christ mindset. Meaning the opposite of Christ. Christ inserted himself. He was sent and he inserted himself into humanity. And then he, he incarnated himself into humanity. Became human. Became like those around him. So that the gospel could transform us from the inside out. And we are called to do that in all of our relationships and to our broader culture. We are called to look at our culture and say, not judge it by some sort of, oh my goodness, it's doing all this. No, we we look at it and we say, okay, where is God sending me and how can I be fully present where people are so that Jesus through me can transform not only me and others? Can the culture be changed? I guess the bigger question is probably... Can the church, as it's currently structured and behaving in the world today, can the American church, most churches, accomplish this mission? And I would argue the answer is no. And I think we're seeing that in statistics. That the churches, the church overall in America, has seen a rapid decline in the last decade. Why? Why? Because the church isn't accomplishing the mission that it's been called to. Instead, there's kind of been a bunker mentality, a pulling back from people and culture. There's been a very invitational mode of Christianity for about a whole generation now of just, hey, we're going to sit over here and we're going to invite you to come, but we're not going to (laughs) engage. We don't want to get messy. We don't want to be around anyone who's not Christian we want you to come be around all the Christians. Like, why, you come to us kind of idea. And that is the exact opposite of what Christ did, right? Christ didn't sit back and wait for humanity to get to him. He went and inserted himself into our situation in order to transform us. And so we go from being sent, the calling to being sent, the calling to being fully present, to the reality that we can accomplish this task when we dive into God's calling and the Holy Spirit's empowerment on us as a people, a larger people of God in a community, 
but then on each of us individually as we begin to work out how is God specifically calling me to play a role within the kingdom of God on earth, within his people on earth, to be sent to those around me and to be fully present with them. There's a reality that should be true of the church in any culture, and it's that God's people, the church, should be multiplying itself. Should be multiplying itself. It should be exponential. Just as the church should be missional, just as the church should be incarnational, that should lead to exponential growth. And it doesn't necessarily mean some sort of numbers. Like, we, we don't need to get caught up in the number side of it. But the, the exponential growth of the gospel is talked about throughout Jesus' ministry. Right? He talks about a farmer who spreads seed and just throws it onto the soils. And, and that's going to lead to exponential growth. If, if a farmer is, is abundantly sharing the seed with the soil, the chance of him receiving crop from that seed is great. But if the, if the farmer's holding back and only saying, well, I'm just going to plant some seeds here where it's safe or where I feel like I can control it, that's not going to be exponential growth. You hope there's some growth, but it's not going to be exponential. It's not going to lead to some sort of movement. And this is what we read about in Acts. We read about a movement, a complete movement of God that seems at times uncontrollable it, because it just it starts to get out of control in a sense that all of a sudden the gospel's just transforming people and people are being raised up to lead the church. And the Holy Spirit is the one at the core of it empowering empowering the people and empowering the believers and empowering the church because we are empowered just as we are sent just as we are fully present with those around us we are empowered by the very presence of god in us to fulfill callings that he places on our life we're going to be in acts 18 like i said just verses 9 through 11 are we going to read and then i'll give a little context to it afterwards but 9 through 11 acts chapter 18 and this is a person in Scripture. So just note that. One of the last times we'll get the voice of Jesus himself speaking to someone in a vision. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would reveal your plan to us and that you would place your Spirit within us. Pour out your Spirit in a fresh, a new way this year, in a powerful way, in a way that calls us to step up to what you're calling us to. And so we pray. We pray that you would teach us through your word, and empower us through your spirit to be the people of God to those around us as you're calling us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all things. Amen. So this passage where, where Jesus speaks to Paul, he's in Corinth. He's in the city of Corinth. He's doing missionary work. This is one of his first places where he's going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. He meets up with a couple that had just moved, a Jewish couple that had just moved to Corinth, that were also tent makers. 
And so the, the three of them pair up. Paul, I think he, there's probably four of them because I think he had um, someone with him or they came later. But, so they all pair up and they decide, okay, we're going we're gonna to take the city of Corinth with the gospel. Now, this is what you need to know. There would have been no believers in Corinth at that time. None. Like, we're not, we're not talking like there's already some churches on the corners. No. There was no believers in Corinth at that time. And Corinth is a metropolis like New York. A metropolis. All different cultures, all different kinds of people, all different gods that are being worshipped in one place. And, and they set out to take a city that has no interest. They're like, we're going to we are going to take this city for Jesus. Like, we are going to infiltrate this city with the gospel. We're going to infuse the gospel through the whole place. Imagine the difficulty of that work as you stand and look at this massive city that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they go to do this, right? And Paul thinks, well, the first place I'll go is the Jewish people. They should get it, right? Jesus was a Jew. He came to save the world. They should get it. I'll go to the synagogues. And that creates a ton of drama. Paul is basically going to get forced out of this city by the Jewish people because they don't want to hear about this Jesus. And so he, it says basically like he, he shakes the dust off. So he's like, whatever. If y'all don't want it, that blood's on you and your children. Like, I mean, he just, he's like, all right, fine, if you don't want to respond. And he's kind of in this moment of like, okay, God, you sent me here. You told me to be fully present to take the gospel right to where people are. What's going on, God? Right? And then right before this passage, he, he sees two incredible conversions. The leader of the Jewish synagogue and his entire family converts, says, yes, we believe. We want to be like Jesus. And the leader of the Roman society over Corinth comes to know Jesus. So they see two incredible stories of transformation from both the cultural just city side and the religious side of the Jewish leader of the synagogue. And, and then Jesus speaks these words to him in a vision. So imagine if you're working hard, you're not seeing progress, then you see these two influential people in this city come to know Jesus, genuine relationships, their whole family comes to know Christ, and then Jesus speaks this message to you, don't be afraid. And don't back down. Don't stop now. Get more bold. I will be with you because I have people in this city that you don't even know about. I have people in this city that you don't even know about. Know that this passage of Scripture was what ended up giving us confidence to come here. We prayed and we sought God and we said, okay, God, why would we go there? What, like, why? What, why would you want to take us to Americas? And he used this passage of Scripture to remind us that he's already at work, that we were walking into a situation where he would already be at work, and that we had to trust him, that there were already people already people that he would be raising up, that he would be at work in their life, that he would be doing the work behind the scenes that then we would be partnering up with, that, that we would be coming together with, that this wasn't something that was on us ultimately. This was something that was on him to accomplish. Our job was to be faithful to go where he was sending us. Our job was to be faithful to be present with those around us. It was his job 
He's the one that comes through on drawing people to himself. That's not on us. It's not on me. And when I, and when we grew confident in that and said, okay, God, we're trusting you with this, we made the jump. And here's the crazy thing. All of you, all of those that have joined us up into this part, your answers to prayer, your literal answers to prayer all along the way. Because we prayed all along the way, okay, God, then we're trusting you that you'll bring the right people at the right time. Then we're trusting you that there are already people in this city that you're raising up to be a part of what you're calling us to. That you're going to bring to us, that you're going to take us to them. However it happens, we're trusting you that you're the one at work, that this work is not dependent on us. And, and so each of you, every single person that has joined us up in this point has been a literal answer to prayer, a literal answer to God fulfilling the calling in our lives. And so now the transition, as we begin as a people of God to say, okay, how do we see that continue to happen? And how do we see that continue to happen in our community is we, we each, as I continue to struggle with it, as you struggle with it, we each say, okay, now how does God want to fulfill that through me? How does God want to fulfill this plan for the kingdom of God taking over America's Georgia through you? How does God want to accomplish this? And there's this amazing story here where Paul is fulfilling a role that's, a, here's a very biblical uh, churchy word, He's fulfilling an apostolic role when he's doing the work that he's doing. He's fulfilling an apostolic role. And there's this structure of God's people that we see play out over the course of history that God begins to form through Acts and through the New Testament that has specific leadership to it where people step up to callings to lead and where the people of God support the mission of the church through that. And we see it especially spelled out in Ephesians chapter 4. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, there's multiple ways that we see this play out through the New Testament, but the specific place where we get Paul talking about the church, the leadership of God's people, and the maturing of God's people through that leadership is in, Act, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. And here's the overview of that passage of Scripture. You should go back and read it sometime, but here's the overview. 1 through 6, Paul reminds the Ephesians that Jesus has already accomplished unity. Unity between you as a believer and God, and then you, unity between you and other believers. Jesus has already accomplished that. It's whether we're going to live it out or not, right? So Paul establishes that in 1 through 6. In 7 through 11, he then establishes, and these are the gifts of leadership that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives to his people. And he names them apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He names them. So there's no evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Now we have to unpack that. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Now we have to unpack that. For most of us, those words are fairly foreign. And so we have to unpack that. But those are the gifts. And this is what he says. And it's through the leadership gifts of the church that God establishes. It's through the leadership gifts of the church that God establishes 
that then there's a growth to maturity of the very people of God into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right? So think about this. Without the people of God rallying behind the mission of God, this battle plan assignment that God has given us to be sent and to be fully, fully present, and without the people of God rallying around the leaders that he begins to raise up, that God begins to raise up, without the people of God doing this together, we don't reach maturity in Jesus Christ. We don't become like Jesus. Think about that. So if Satan was going to try to keep the church from accomplishing his mission, he can't do anything about the first part that Paul says, right? That there's unity in Christ. Christ has already accomplished that. Satan can't do anything about that. He sure is, he sure is for goodness sake, doesn't want a mature church, right? He doesn't want a church that looks like Jesus. So what should he do? Mess with the middle part. If he can mess with the leadership of the church and the people of God being on mission with that leadership, then he can keep the church from becoming what it should be. And so that's what he's done. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that lightly. But the church has lost its way. We have lost our way. This battle plan that God sets before us, think about this military imagery of the kingdom of God. It's a military imagery. And when you think about the military, what do you not want? Indecisive committees. Right? Ain't, ain't nobody need an indecisive committee trying to make a battle decision when they're at war. Right? That's what we don't need. We need people who know what their role is and then they step up to fulfill that role at the right time, right? That's what we need. We need the general to be the general, we need the sergeants to be the sergeants, and we need the foot soldiers to be the foot soldiers. We, and, and we need all of it to happen, right? You can't, we can't get caught up in some sort of crazy structure. We need to be on mission, and God gives us pieces for us to be on mission. And we need people stepping up to fulfill roles, and then here's the other piece. We need to be raising up, if we're, if we're going to war with this entire spiritual world that's around us, that's who we're going to war with, not other people, but the, but the spiritual realm of this world, if we're going to battle for the souls of people, that's a lot of people. You know how people live on this earth? Isn't that like six billion now or something? It's a lot of people. It's a lot of souls. Um, don't we think we're going to need more than one general? <laughs> we're going to need more than one group of infantry? We're going to... We're going to need more people going to battle, right? We can't just have one person taking leadership. We need multiple people taking leadership. And this is the calling of God on his people, that they would take leadership, that you potentially would take leadership among the people of God, that you would support leadership among the people of God that in the areas that God has gifted you, and that we would go to war for the souls of those around us because we care about the people around us, because we care about their soul, about their eternal relationship with God enough to go after them and to, and to make disciples, to, to help them be introduced to Jesus and become like Jesus. So let's define these five words real quick. Here's some real quick definitions of these words, and then we're going to talk about it. Just some open discussion about it. So apostle, 
this apostle role, we see Paul fulfill it. We see so many in the New Testament fulfill it. It's, it's an architect role. It's like a, an innovator. It's, it's, it's an entrepreneurial role. It's someone who says, I can see the church forming here where it's not even formed yet. I can see the people of God here when other people don't see it yet. That's that apostle role. It's this new work role. Prophetic role. There's a role where God gifts someone in such a way where they feel the heart of God, like they feel the heartbeat of God, where they hear the voice of God. A lot of the times, uh, God uses these people in very demanding ways, but in very affirming ways in people's lives. They can be intense people, usually. Evangelistic gifting. When someone takes leadership as an evangelist, they are a recruiter, a, a recruiter to the cause. Like, they just begin to see everyone around them that needs Jesus. Like, they're like, oh my goodness, you need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and you need Jesus. How can we all get you to Jesus? Like that, it's just like in their mind, and they go to where people are. Like they're so concerned with where people are. That's why they usually get fed up with the church so quickly. Because <laughs> they're like, I care about where people are, and you keep trying to get them over here, and I want to go to where they are. Shepherds. Shepherds care for people. They gather people in close relationship. There's connection and community that happens under the care of a shepherd, right? They know people by name, right? We know that from Scripture. The good shepherd knows us by name. They know people by name. They, shepherds are the most caring. God calls people to those roles. And teachers, teachers provide wisdom and understanding. They make connections and links between generations and between cultures, they're able to take the Word of God and disseminate it down to people. They're able to say, here's the Word of God. You don't understand it. Let me help you understand it. Let me teach it to you. Let me, let me help you grasp it so that you can be confident in it. These five leadership roles, but these five areas of ministry in which we go to war with the world are so important. And what Satan has done is basically eliminated three of them from our churches. Satan has allowed for the church to get so focused on shepherding and teaching. And here's the difficulty. What are the three gifts that force the church outside of itself? The three gifts of leadership are apostle, prophet, and evangelist that force the church outside of itself. Of course shepherds and teachers are going to be concerned inside. Because that's what God has gifted them to do, and it's the leadership he's called them to have, is the internal focus of God's people. Like, how can we create community, and how can we raise them up by teaching them? That's what shepherds and teachers do, so of course they would do that. And so how do you make a church ineffective in reaching the culture around it? If you're Satan, you remove the leadership of those that want to force the church outside of itself, and you make it awkward for them, you make it difficult for them, so listen, there are apostles and prophets and evangelists among God's people in America, but almost none of them take leadership within a local congregation because it's so uncomfortable for them. They end up leaving and going and starting a business or a nonprofit, or they go start another ministry because they get so fed up 
with, with a church that's only inward focused that they just leave. They finally just throw up their hands and leave. It's not that God hasn't been raising up these people in America. It's that they're all been leaving the church for the most part. Or there's a bunch of infighting among the gifts and or the different people that are trying to take leadership and one's trying to go outside and one's trying to force inside and it just creates all kinds of a mess and you end up with church splits and ineffective church. God has already been gifting people within us to fulfill leadership roles. And then I have no doubt that there will be those that say, I don't, I don't feel like God's calling me into a leadership role, but I feel like God's calling me to support that. My gifting lines up with that. So I, I have a gift of hospitality, and I want people to feel welcome, and so I feel called to support the, the evangelistic side of our ministry. I feel called that I need to be helping people feel welcomed in, in a part, and so I'm going to support evangelism. Or I feel called to serve, to serve behind the scenes and to do things that allow things to, to happen in front of the scenes. And so I want to support the pastoral ministry of the church. How can I serve behind the scenes to create care packages or things that make people feel welcome? It's amazing how God, when God's people can say, this is who we're going to be, it's amazing how God will be at work multiplying his people.